Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot Shiitake Podcast with me. Father Leo Paddling, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together. No matter what, no matter what they believe, we've got to be able to love each other, learn from each other, and it begins with listening to each other. And this podcast isn't about the deep technical things of the Catholic faith, but rather how to make it practical, how to make it real, simply by listening to each other, as God does with us and as God intends for us to do with one another. And this week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mountain Buterock. He is the founder of the Catholic Travel, who leads thousands of people on pilgrimages across Europe and the Holy Land, and particularly starting in Italy. And currently, he is being quarantined in Rome for this particular interview, and we jump into a deep dish discussion, all things Rome, in the midst of this quarantine, but also the strange things happening in the Catholic Church these days. So if you enjoy our conversations and want to support us, simply go to platinggrace.com. Dot com and either donate or become a member of the Academy. It's just like Patreon, but it gives you even more access to premium and special perks. So for right now, thank you for being a part of the show and enjoy this deep dish discussion as I shoot the shiitake with Mountain Butera. <laughs> And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, for a deep dish discussion, all things Rome, COVID lockdowns, and now no private masses in St. Peter's and special guest, Mountain Buterak. Thank you for joining me, Mountain. Thanks for uh, being a part of this. Now, I do have to ask you because a lot of people have already asked me, <laughs> where does the name Mountain come from? Seriously, this is an my parents. Name. Yeah, my parents are a little on the hippie-ish side when I was born. And so they thought mountain sounded good. And so, I mean, that is my legal name. It's on the birth certificate and everything. And it's a very biblical name. I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, now that I'm older and Catholic looking at the Bible, it's like, Oh, there's a mountain. There's a mountain. Yeah. So, so it's, it, yeah, it's great. Do you have like a sibling named sky or a sister named Lake or anything? No, like that? I'm an only child. Thank you. Oh, you're an only child. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tell me a little bit about, you said you just, you mean, when you became Catholic, you kind of discovered this because it'll kind of bleed into who you are as a traveling, uh, excuse me, as someone supporting people in travel experiences. Yeah. So I grew up in the music industry. Both of my parents worked in the music industry. I worked in the music industry growing up. None of us were religious at all. And then one day my mom came home and said, we're going to be Catholic. And my dad was raised Catholic. And so it just, it worked out. We became Catholic. 
And my mom left her job at the music store. My dad started focusing on music in the church. So now she's the religious education director. My dad's the music director. And I started leading Catholic pilgrimages. So, I mean, it's, it's a longer story than that, but that's sure. basically the short version as to how I got here. And you've been leading pilgrimages to Rome particularly, and then abroad, but starting in Rome for how long? 16 years. And so 16 years ago, you relocated your entire family. Tell me about your family background, your immediate, your um, wife, your children. Yeah, wife, two daughters. And we moved to Rome about seven years ago. I was going back and forth with pilgrimages, you know, sometimes once a month, sometimes every other month. And that's a lot to be away from home when you have two little kids. And so we started to look at moving out of Atlanta. And my wife jokingly said, why don't we just move to Rome? You're always there anyway. And so we looked into it. We figured out a way to make it work. And seven years later, we're still here. And seven years ago, when you moved to Italy, uh, how fluent were you in Italian? My Italian is as bad now as it was then. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You live in Rome. I know. I are, know. You a, are you like one of those American gringos who just don't refuse to speak the language? Or, or is it because you don't need to because you have a lot of contacts? A little of both. It's not I refuse. I try my Italian and all the people that I know that speak Italian, that are Italian, they're just like, oh, and they just immediately switch to English. <laughs> the accent's bad, the, the words, and it's just, my kids okay. fluent. My kids are fluent. Yeah, of so, course. That, yeah. Well, at least you can get them to translate, but boy, they can really screw you <laughs> over. So, uh, you know, you, you started this seven years ago living there. Now, 16 years ago, you were already traveling. Have you ever, ever in your time, because I've been affiliated with Rome for the past 25 years, have you ever experienced what happened in 2020 and in 2021? No, I mean, I mean and I hope I'll never do again. Yeah. yeah, so tell me, what is it like now? Let's do a little timeline, if you don't mind. So by March, 20, actually by February, 2020, things were starting to shut down and then things fully shut down in March. And it basically, tell me, tell me what's been the experience, particularly in Rome. Yeah. So for us, a lot of people I know in Rome, guides, hotels, buses, drivers. In February, we were thinking, oh, that's only going on up north. It's not going to affect us. Correct. I still had people booking my day pilgrimages for March. I still had a couple of them in March, at the beginning of March, right before everything shut down. So we really thought it was going to be kind of contained up north. And then when things started shutting down, it both seemed very slow and very quick at the same time, if that makes any sense. It does actually. Like, yeah. It's like one day, okay, we're going to close the museums the next day. All right. No mass for the public. And those first, so we were locked down for 55 days. It was intense. It was scary. Everything was new. The media made it sound like people were going to be dropping in the streets. Were they? Like I would see, no, I didn't see anybody drop in the streets but they made it sound like it. Um, yeah, I mean, so we can't deny that hospitals in the North are were overwhelmed, uh, right. you know? Well, it's only because what people don't get is that hospitals are way smaller in Italy than they are That's in true. America. Socialized medicine, so it's just smaller. And at the same time too, the spread really took place because people are living on top of each other. The hygiene in Italy is very different from it is in the United States, and they greet each other with kisses. And so you can see how 
I mean, I hate to say it, but you can see why places like New York exploded with coronavirus, as well as places like Milan, especially since Milan is basically like Asia in, right. uh, in, in the northern part of Italy. I mean, that's just the reality. So, but in Rome particularly, you guys were forced to lock down. How did you guys even survive? Oh, it, when I say it was intense, I, it, I had nightmares. It was, they had so much fear put into us. There were drones patrolling the streets. I live on Borgo Pio. I'm sure you know where that is. Sure. There were, there were drones going around the neighborhoods looking for people who were out of their homes. There were police cars with um, like uh, the speakers, what are they called? Sure. The megaphones. Yeah. yeah. Announcing like you need to stay inside. And this was going on for days, weeks. We were allowed to go to the grocery store. We were allowed to go to the pharmacy. And thankfully, our churches did not close, but we could only go 100 meters from home. So if you wanted to go to a church, not for mass, just for prayer, uh, it had to be within 100 meters. And so the church I was wanting to go to was Santo Spirito, because that's kind of the closest one. It's more than 100 meters. I had to it cross is. Conciliazione. And so when I would so want to go to the church, let, let's give uh, let's give our listeners a perspective here. Borgo Pio is a neighborhood just right outside of the Vatican walls. And there is a major street that leads to uh, from the Tiber River all the way up to St. Peter's Square. And that is the Via Conciliazione, the way of reconciliation. And in order for him to get to Santo Spirito Church, which is the Divine Mercy Shrine Church, he'd have to go from basically one part of Rome crossing the street to the other. Now, ultimately, it's about maybe in American standards, eight to 10 blocks. That's what it would be in, in American standards, maybe even a little less, depending on where you are. So right. did, did it feel like The Walking Dead? It did. Like, I mean, it's, it's a two-minute walk but from my apartment to that church. Okay. But to get across Conciliazione, you know, Exercise was okay. So people could go out and run. They could go out for a smoke, but going to church hundred meters or hundred meters away, like I could be stopped by the police. I could be fined up to 1000 Euro yeah. if it was more than a thousand meters. Right. So it was scary. Like I was hiding behind a car, like making sure the police passed before I went across the road yeah, and the church is like 110 meters. It wasn't like I was going miles across town outside of. So did you see people like get arrested and fined? Because they went no. beyond a thousand meters. No, so I was never. This intimidation? I I don't know. In the news, like they would say, like, oh, we had four hundred people fined today or something. But personally, I don't know anyone that was ever fined. I do know one person that was stopped, and they actually plugged into a GPS his address because we have to carry a form with us that said where we live, where we're going, what time we left. Oh my god! They determined, yeah, they determined that he was more than a hundred meters from home. But he also worked for the U.S. Embassy, and so they let him off. So it's, it sounds very, very controlling. And yeah. I want to kind of get into the control. What is the general senses of the people on the ground? Were they just kind of rolling their eyes and thinking this, or did people believe that people would drop dead? And obviously, in the first 55 days, nobody knew what was going on. Right. The whole yeah, world 50- didn't know what was going on. Exactly. And, and you, know, you know, Italians, they care about the elderly. And so those 55 days, everybody was like, yep, we're not going out. We're going to follow the rules Correct. for the most part. And then we opened up. Things got better. When did you open and up? What, at what month? This was in April, uh, okay. April, May. 
okay. is when we started open back up. And I got to tell you, those first few weeks were amazing because there were only Romans in Rome because other regions couldn't travel here, like Tuscany, Correct. Umbria, they couldn't travel. And so it was amazing to see Romans experiencing their city really for the first time because you would see people at the Trevi Fountain or the Spanish Steps who never would have gone to those places because they're always covered with tourists. Yep. So those first couple of weeks, it was, it was nice. It was like they got a reward for being locked down so tight. But then after that, everybody could kind of feel it like Rome was made for visitors and something's not right. And so the borders didn't open or they, they opened a little to Europe, but people started getting frustrated. There's restaurants that haven't opened since the first lockdown. Correct. There's, there's restaurants that have opened, but they don't have a full staff because there's, they can't have enough people in the restaurant because there's limitations to how many tables can be inside. So when did it get normal? In the summer. In the summer, it really felt normal. Like there a lot were European of tourists visitors. Okay. The museums reopened. Restaurants were allowed to have people sitting inside again. Um, so it's sort of people wearing, were people wearing masks? I mean, were they kind of acting like the Karens of the United States, you know, civil law enforcers, uh, just basically saying, you know, put on some masks, stay socially distant. I mean, Italians aren't going to follow those rules. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, in Italy, <laughs> Romans basically call traffic lights suggerimenti or decorazioni, suggestions or decorations. <laughs> okay, so they're not, although they have had a socialist experience where they know that they have to kind of follow rules, they also have fought back against a lot of socialist histories in their past, and they just kind of are very freestyle when it comes to rules. I kind of love it, to be honest with you. How were they with social... I even hate the term social distancing, but physical yeah. separation as well as masking. Well, again, in those first 55 days, going to the grocery store, everybody stayed at least a meter apart in line. You would have been amazed seeing Italians line up single file wow. to go to a grocery store. Yeah. That is a miracle. Yeah. Now there are no more lines. It's like it was before. Okay. So, so they're, they're back. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as masks, the mask mandate, that's new. So in the beginning, we had to wear them when we went to the grocery store, even like during the first lockdown, we didn't have to wear them outside, only when we went inside a grocery store. And then it wasn't until December when they decided that they needed to be worn outside at all times, unless you're smoking or drinking. <laughs> yeah, you can take your mask off to smoke, drink, and run. That's it. Okay, so in other words, your policies are just as asinine as the policies that I've seen across the globe because there is, there's nothing consistent about any policy regarding these. We are not denying that the virus is real, so here's a little caveat. We are not denying that the virus is real, that the virus has killed many people, and we are very sorry for that. And unfortunately, when there is a new virus, we can't contain it but policies have been across the board and have not been consistent, especially when we look to Italy as the way to handle it, even though we all know the Italian medical system isn't as great as people think it is. I mean, am I right, Mountain? Or am yeah, I? Yeah, you're right. You're I mean, right. they say, if you have a headache, you take an aspirin. If you have anything else, you take a plane. That's kind <laughs> of literally, hate to say it, you know, there are some good Catholic places 
like Bambino Jesu, which is the Children's Medical Center, but they even refer people to the United States when things get difficult. So, so now let's talk about then, what was it like for the mentality of the people in Catholicism? I know you have a, a love for the churches and St. Peter's. What happened there at St. Peter's? Were people coming? Were they visiting? I mean, was it obviously as busy as it probably wasn't as busy it was? And then I want to hear what it's like to not have Americans in Rome. Yeah. So as far as the church goes, you know, when, when things started shutting down, St. Peter's was not crowded. There were still the, the daily masses, but not even like the American seminarians. They went home pretty quickly, so they weren't going to the masses. Um, but once the churches, if you recall, the government shut down the churches. I do. Like at 4 p.m. one day, and then they were reopened at 7 a.m. the next day. But those few hours when the churches were closed, I think that everybody realized how real this was. The next day, adoration at Santo Spirito, at Santana was packed. Like there was no distancing in those churches. People so came the to Italians, pray? Yeah, they came to pray. So and do you think this actually helped the Italians get back to their faith? Maybe, at least a little bit. A little. Um, huh. Churches now, they're open 100% capacity. Some churches are standing room only. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's, now, there's no restrictions. So there are no restrictions now, but I mean, you guys experienced just recently another lockdown. What does that mean exactly? The lockdown we're going through right now? Yeah. So I let's couldn't give tell you what it date. means. <laughs> yeah. Let's give people a date. We are literally in the middle of March and we heard about another lockdown and everyone just automatically signaled virtue and said that America has to do the same thing, even though there has been no scientific basis. Now people are going to say, you're just looking at the wrong science because you believe in fake news. And what do you say to people like that? Especially knowing how liberal Rome is, do the Romans start to realize that there's been fake news? Oh yeah. The Romans absolutely think that this is ridiculous for the most part. Um, there was never an overload on the hospitals here in Rome. Nope. Lazio was never, it was never like in the top cities with high cases, high deaths. I mean, of course there were numbers, but it wasn't, it was never bad. And it's we've all known, now. and we've all, what thing that's consistent, we all know that this does take the life of people in the same way yes. that the flu has done, especially if people have coexisting complications and comorbidities, if they're elderly, if they're obese. And if you are, if you're prone to emphysema because you smoke a lot, which Romans do. <laughs> Italians, yeah. Italians do in general. So you can see how, unfortunately, this virus is just playing to the rest of our weakness. But you're suggesting from your anecdotal experience that Romans are just as sick about this as anything else. Yeah. So we've been, you know, we're on a tiered system. Yellow is pretty much everything's open. Orange kind of closed. Red is supposed to be a strict lockdown like we had. We're in red right now. Churches are open. Mass is okay. You can go grocery shopping, go to pharmacies, hardware stores, electronic stores, lingerie shops are open. Like that's considered an essential business. <laughs> I don't know why. Of course why. it is. And exercise is okay. Parks are open. You can go have a picnic so in a park. So what's closed? Restaurants for sit down. It's almost like an attack on the food industry. 
It, That's what it I, feels I like. can tell you what it is. It's an attack on those places where people gather and celebrate. So churches and restaurants will always be a target for despotic governments because it's a place where people experience freedom and joy. You know, it's, yeah. it's really quite interesting. You know, let's talk about then, you know, how have, how are people trying to cope with this? Just what's been your sense of their coping mechanism? Are they kind of fighting back? Are we going to see marches like we've seen in Germany and England and in France uh, against these lockdowns? I mean, Romans are pretty lazy when it comes to two. They are. They do like a good protest. They but... do, but they're really so silly. I mean, a yeah. lot of their protests, they're called <laughs> shoperos, uh, um, and they have a lot of manifestos, uh, manifestazioni, which are strikes all the time anyway. So right. they're used to it. But something like this is not because, you know, garbage hasn't been picked up or because taxis are working too hard or, or you know, literally the train station wants to take a smoking break. This is, <laughs> I mean, and let's admit it, this is kind of yeah. the, this is the tradition of Rome. Do you find people like willing to just say, you know, enough is enough. We need to take our country back. We need to take our city back. I hear people upset about stuff, but I haven't heard anyone say like, I refuse to do this. I'm not going to wear a mask outside. I'm going to open up my restaurant. Like, I don't, I don't see it. I, you don't the see owners, that. the owners are like, this is terrible. It's putting us out of business. We have to do something, but they don't do to. anything. Right. Yeah. So literally restaurants are not open. That's really well, the for, for takeout for takeout. Yeah. You can go for takeout. Who likes carry out food from an Italian restaurant anyway? Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, they've gotten so creative. Like everybody does take out coffee now. That wasn't a thing when you were here. Holy God. <laughs> Holy everybody God. does take use... out coffee. Unbelievable. Yeah. Even like a little shot of espresso, you can take that to go now. It's, it's terrible and it's great at the same time. Um, but restaurants like Amatriciana, for example, if you want to get it from a restaurant, they'll give you a bag of pasta. They'll give you their sauce that you can reheat once you get home. It's almost like a, a deconstructed cooking class, basically. And you, they give you a little instructions. You go home and you make it. So that's how these restaurants are staying in business, by getting creative. They're giving you your, their sauce, but you kind of make it yourself. So they'll give you the pasta portioned out appropriately. All right. you've got to do is boil water, add salt, then drain the pasta, throw the sauce in there, and then mix it up and hope that you don't screw it up. <laughs> This is called right. Blue Apron, which is a yeah. food service in the United States. <laughs> okay. But you know, you know what? That's, that's how we're helping them now. We're, we are sucking it up and making food ourselves so that we can support our favorite restaurants. Oh, I mean. Because we don't want them heart, to go away. My heart is breaking. I mean, I don't even get emotional, but I will. I miss Rome so much. I absolutely miss Rome so much. It is my second home. And it's, it's killing me to know that I can't get back there because somehow someone thinks that if I'm healthy, I could still be symptomatic when I'm not symptomatic. So this is driving me crazy. Now let's talk about another issue that has just come about. This is crazy that St. Peter's Basilica, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, had a tradition of side altar private masses, which means that in this humongous church, along the central nave and around the whole church, there were side chapels, each chapel dedicated to a saint 
or yeah, definitely a saint or a pope because only popes can be buried there. And they have tremendous artwork, which is all now frescoed with the exception of a two or three paintings that exist. And those are, excuse me, mosaics. Those are frescoes. Every other major painting is a mosaic. And uh, they have an altar and they used to have them all opened up for priests to go in, celebrate a mass, especially if they don't have a congregation, they can go in, do their sacred duties as priests, celebrate mass. They would even might maybe have an altar server assist. This has been going on for hundreds of years. Now, all of a sudden, as of March 20th, I think that's what the day today. was. Today. Yeah. So, oh, okay. yeah, you don't know what day it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so, March 22nd. March 22nd. March, so March 22nd, you can no longer have priests celebrating private masses. I tried to figure out what was the rationale for this. I could not figure it out. It makes no sense. The motu proprio from this letter. What was your sense of it all? I mean, just being on the ground there. Well, it was rumored in January. Uh, someone broke the story like this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe it. Talk about fake news. I was like, no way. How would they ever stop that tradition? It's one of the most beautiful things in Rome. It is. Being able to go into St. Peter's at between 7 and 8 a.m., hear mass in so many different languages, just pick a priest and go to mass with that priest or you being a priest, being able to celebrate mass Correct. for your family or your friends or just for yourself, like no way they're going to stop that. And then about, what is it? March 10th, I think. About the, two weeks letter ago, came we out. heard the letter. Yeah. yeah. And this letter just basically prohibits any priest from just walking into the sacristy, getting vested, going out and celebrating mass. Now, what's right. interesting is that this was also a little bit of a financial very lucrative financially because people would take up a collection. People would actually priests like myself would always deposit money as, as an offering to St. Peter's Basilica for the opportunity to celebrate mass there. You can still do mass underground, but what's been the problem with that? Tell me your experience with the underground crypt chapel masses. What's that process like? Well, on a, well, on a personal level, most of the chapels down there are not pretty compared to the Basilica for sure. Um, but if you're just a person walking into St. Peter's in the morning, you're not going to know where the grotto is. You're not going to know how to find it. You're not going to randomly just see a priest celebrating mass and go join in. I can't tell you how many stories that I've heard of reversions or conversions from people who went to St. Peter's just to, you know, check out this church. There was a mass going on and it touched them and brought them back to the church. Yeah. That's not going to happen in the grottos because they're not going to know where it is. Yeah. On top of that, you have to reserve it. Yes. If you're a yes. priest, so, you can't just walk in there and be like, I, I'm here to say mass. You have to call in and reserve it. And they don't do things in English. It's all in Italian. So it's like who you know right. in order for and you to do that. Downstairs in the grotto, there are 12 altars that Correct. are usable. Upstairs, there are 21 that are usually used. So you're basically doing away with 42 masses every day upstairs, 42 Correct. opportunities for mass because you can do two within the hour. And let's be uh, honest, you get inspired when you see people pray silently, devotionally, privately. And so this gives you a real opportunity to see priests offering prayers from their heart. And then you see a few of the faithful gathered around and the devotion 
is really palpable to the point where I always told people that when you go into Rome early in the morning, you can feel the stones of the church praying with you because you could hear them silently and echo in the background. Now, granted, there was every now and then an obnoxious group of people with tambourines and singing glory and praise to our <laughs> God from like the, or Kumbaya or something right. like that. But, but even that had its charm because it would get lost because eventually you would hear someone literally chanting in their own religious, excuse me, in their own national tongue. I, what was it like going for the first time then to mass, excuse me, to the St. Peter's without private masses being said? It was depressing. And is I that went, just because it was a change? Like no, everyone gets depressed because there's a change. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hate that there's a change, but all the lights above the altars, they're off. Ooh. No, they're not even, they're not even turned on. And priests can concelebrate in Italian in the choir chapel. So that's one of the, one of the big chapels that's behind a curtain. Yep. So it's not even out. So everybody can see what's going on, but all the altars are dark. Gregory the Great, John Paul II, Pius X, dark. Were there a lot of and, people? Um, no. So it was empty? Not a lot. It was pretty much empty, yeah. And to see an empty church, empty St. Peter's, it's like, that would be depressing to me because even though it was not crowded, you always saw people milling around prayerfully and you couldn't just go a couple hundred yards and see someone praying there and, and know you're not alone. Did, did it feel lonely? It did. There was no praying. I mean, in the mass, of course, but you know, there's at the tomb of John Paul II, right? When you walk in, there's always people over there praying, nobody yeah. over there. Pius the 10th directly opposite. There's pews over there, kneelers, nobody praying. Adoration chapel, curtain was open, nobody in there. It was, it felt like a museum with like a side chapel. Hmm. Wow. I don't even know what to say because I've got like a ton of questions, but I already know the answers. It, it just sounds like, it sounds like someone is in charge and for whatever reason, they just wanted to exercise their power. What's the sense of the people there, the priests that you know? What are you hearing from them about this very odd proclamation? So everyone that I know that's experienced something like this they don't get it. It makes no sense. There are people on social media who are like excited that this is happening. And I think that's because they don't understand how the term private mass is used in Rome. It doesn't mean necessarily it's one priest praying the extraordinary form in Latin. That's like what they're going for. A private mass is, it could be a group of 200 people. It's just, they reserve that altar. So it's something outside of the regular mass schedule. And so, so I'm going to say it, it sounds political to me. Yeah, it does. And people say like, oh, these private ma masses, they were so exclusive. Like it was like a country club style mass. That's not been my experience at all. I mean, anybody can walk up to these masses. And now that they're in the grottos, it's even more that exclusive. Makes it, that makes it more exclusive. You have to know where they are. You have to get past security to get down there. Sure. And so, I mean, you have to know like where you're going. You, you It's yeah, There's it, nothing good that's going to come of this. There was a political movement just for people to know in the background. When Vatican II came about, there were an extreme group of people who kind of wanted to take Vatican II and turn it into its own ritual and say, therefore, you should not have a mass without a congregation. 
which is ridiculous because there are days I had a private mass this morning. As a matter of fact, if you just kind of look behind me, I have the vestiges of my altar that I set up because I'm traveling. I don't have a congregation. I am required, excuse me, I am privileged to say mass whenever I want to. And I do that privately. So private doesn't mean exclusive. Private doesn't mean elitist. Private doesn't mean that you can't be a part of it. It just means that this person doesn't have a congregation for whatever reason. Now, was, was there abuses to the ability to say mass privately that you heard prior to this kind of declaration? I've never been witness to anything like that. They said they wanted to preserve the sanctity of the mass. Which makes so no sense to me. Maybe they know something I don't, but they're not saying if they do. Mm. I literally, I can't think of anything, any valid reason that they would want to do this. Uh, yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that there are a lot of people posing as priests, walking in and trying to say mass there and making a mockery of it all. I have never heard it. And the system was so clear that if you were new, they would know who you are and being new. And they would kind of do their own vetting process to make sure that you were a legit priest. That would be honestly the only reason why I can think of it. So I guess as we're kind of bringing this interview to a close, and really this is a catch-up on a city that I love, a city that is eternal, the city where the bones of St. Peter are and where saints have spilt their blood, and a city that has had to go through its own revivals geopolitically and spiritually. What do you think? I mean, I'm not asking you to be a prophet here, but I am asking you to do what prophets do and connect the dots. What's, what do you think is coming next? I would love to see some uprising where people just take back their church because I feel like the church is being taken away from us. I don't know how, I don't know if it's uprising possible, that scares but... the heck out of people. People are going to think, Oh, mountain yeah, is yeah. leading an insurrection quote unquote. Right. <sighs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't know what we can do. I just pray. I don't know. It's, it feels hopeless sometimes. And it's because what, what really, what can we do? We don't vote the people in at the Vatican. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Well, what's next for Mountain and, uh, and, your, and your travel company? Because I'm sure that it's been hard for you knowing that you do events, you do travel, and, and all of that has been kind of kiboshed. What comes next I'm, for you? I'm very hopeful for the future. I think that once travel is open again, it's going to be busier than ever. For me anyway. I think it'll take a while for everyone to be comfortable traveling. But I think Catholics, you know, we travel with a purpose, we're on pilgrimage. People are ready. Americans, to come. though. Americans yeah. spend the most money on travel right. for sure. Did the Italians even miss America? Yeah. 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 The restaurants, the hotels, the drivers. It's it's a different place. It is a very it's different sad. place. It is sad, but you know what? Every, um, every cross leads to a greater hope. And so while it may feel hopeless, and ladies and gentlemen, the last thing I want you to do is to feel hopeless. Tell me, where do you find hope, Mountain, in all of this? Oh, by going to church? That, that gives me hope. Being able to go to the church, to pray, to go to the mass. I'm so thankful that that hasn't been taken away. Yeah. Like it has for so many. And the last question that I have for you is, you know, our paths have crossed. We know each other from various connections. Haven't really spent that much time, you know, 
sitting, chatting and talking. Uh, but what can I do for you as a priest to help you? Pray, tell people about me, tell people about my mission that I do here in Rome and the travels, the pilgrimages I lead. That's the, that's the help I need. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mountain, say your last name for me too, Butorok? Butorok. Butorok. Dang, did I screw that up? <laughs> Butorok. Okay. <laughs> Butorok sounded just like Mountain Butorok. That's kind of yeah. how it, Well, that's Butorok. probably how it is traditionally in Croatian. It's a Croatian yeah. Word. Okay. So Mountain Butorok <laughs> was my special guest, uh, going into a deep discussion of all things Rome. And when I return... I'm going to give you my carryout order. What did I learn from this experience in my conversation with Mountain? We'll be back with more Shoot the Shiitake in just a moment. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. For my carryout order, I want to apologize for Mountain for messing up his name. Buterok, but I have to admit, Buterok doesn't sound as cool or tough as Buterok especially if you have a name like Mountain. And thank God for his mom, who just out of the blue, just wanted to become Catholic. I kind of love that stuff and how a woman's faith really is very influential. And so is the faith of Mother Church. And it is more than anything, uh, kind of a depressing thing to hear what Rome went through in the midst of the pandemic and the lockdowns and the kind of control that they had on things that just made Rome amazing. Rome was fascinating for several things, but the two things that jumped to everyone's mind is are the churches and the faith and the food. So these two things, once they were kind of mitigated or put under the charge of people who probably weren't faithful and not foodies, uh, you can see what happens. It literally can destroy a culture. And Rome knows what it's like to have been imploded from within when it it really limits people's ability and their freedom to celebrate not just their life and their livelihood, but their faith. And so I pray to God that that's not going to happen again because it would be devastating in our modern world because the modern Romans are not as hearty as they were back in the day when they were literally willing to fight and die for their faith and the preservation of their culture. But in my conversation with Mountain, I've learned a few things. The first is that it is easy to be afraid. I mean, not like he was scared or anything like that, but if I had to sit and listen to uh, police on sirens and hearing them on loudspeakers telling me, you know, you got to stay inside and having drones follow you around, it, it literally seems like a futuristic, desperate world. And isn't it sad that whenever you watch movies in the future, it always looks so grim and dark? It really shows that our future is really going to be determined by how we live in the present moment now. And I'm grateful that he was able to kind of get over his fear and still go to church and to pray. So even though it can be intimidating and it can easily be fearful, uh, be, it'll be easy to be afraid. We have to kind of get up and keep trying and to, to do the right thing, which is make sure that God is the most important thing in your life. Secondly, what I learned is that, gosh, Rome has changed a little bit, and it's kind of frustrating to hear how the changes doesn't seem very good. But what you got to do is you have to have hope. And hope is basically the assurance of things we do not see. 
And what we don't see is how God is working through all of this. So what we've got to do is hope and believe that God is working through all of this and it will make sense in the future if we but hope and believe even more. So this was just simply a checkup on a country that I love. And I hope that an experience of an American sensibility, American, uh, in this eternal city gave you a little bit of a picture of what it's like to be in Rome. And I certainly can't wait myself to get back there and to leave pilgrimages. So please just make sure that you join me on a future pilgrimage, which you can learn about at platinggrace.com. And once again, if you enjoyed this conversation, please, please support our efforts by just going to platinggrace.com, click on donate, or better yet, join our academy, which is like Patreon, a small amount of money each month. You get access to amazing content and premium perks. So I want to thank you for listening and my special guest, Mountain Buterock. And between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry for God. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.